0: Well, hey again, Hershey Free Church. Uh, I'm excited that I'm going to get to open up the Word of God from Colossians 1 and just teach from it uh, before you today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be at the end of that section. So here's the verses that we're going to be looking at. I'm going to start uh, in verses 24, so Colossians 1:24. if you're following along. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking, In regards to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And that's the key phrase that we're going to focus on uh, this idea of presenting everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, to that purpose statement, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So again, our focus is going to be on verse 28. And whenever I think about that idea of Paul uh, having this goal of presenting every person mature in Christ, it makes me think of this teacher that I had back in high school. I'm pretty sure it was about 10th grade. I'm pretty sure it was 10th grade. I'm pretty sure he taught history, but his name was Rick Hagenbush. He was a new teacher that had come to our school, and I went to a pretty small high school. So 9th through 12th grade, we had about 100 students, so much smaller than the high schools that you go to or went to when you were younger. And so because we were so small, we didn't have a whole lot of turnover with teachers. And so whenever a new teacher came to our school, every student, me included, I will say, had one thought on our minds, fresh blood hey, this guy, he he doesn't, this teacher, uh, this man, this woman, they don't know our tricks, they don't know our strategies, they don't know our, our methods for disrupting the class or flirting with the girls during class. <laughs> he, he's oblivious, so hey, we can try out all of our uh, stuff on this teacher. So we had this idea that we would do the same thing to this new guy named Mr. Hagenbush, who we had seen his name, but we had not seen his face. And so I enter that history class my first day of tenth grade. And Mr. Hagenbush walks into class. And all of us were sitting in our seats, we're quiet, we're waiting to see what his first moves are going to be. What are his first what's his first speech going to be? Is he going to be one of those teachers that tries to inspire us and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I believe in you. Is he going to do that? Is, is he going to try to be our buddy and, and make us laugh and be funny and pretend like he's going to be our pal through high school? You know, what's what's this guy what's this guy going to do? How's he going to present himself? So we're all we're all waiting for that to happen. And I don't remember the exact words he said, but I can remember, I can tell you where I was sitting in the classroom. I remember it like it was yesterday when Mr. Rick Hagenbush stood up in front of the class and he said something like this. He was holding this, this stack, this pretty thick stack of papers like I'm holding here, and he said, good morning, my name is Mr. Hagenbush, and here is your syllabus. Now, that was the first time I'd ever heard the word syllabus. In fact, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I, I thought he said silly bus, and I had pictured you know, a school bus that had been spray-painted pink and had clowns on it. I, I had no idea what he was talking about, and he proceeded to take that stack of papers, and he passed it out to every student in class and began to talk through it. And I picked it up, and... I look right there on the front page, and there's this long word that starts with the letters S-Y-L-L, and I thought, this is a weird-looking word. It it doesn't sound like it is spelled, but I'm assuming this is what he means by syllabus, and it was probably the most boring sheet of paper I'd ever seen in my high school career at that point. walk through the syllabus and there was objectives for the year, there were uh, required readings for us to do, there were all the projects, all the readings, all the the assignments and stuff that we had to do for the entire semester and I had never seen anything like that. I mean all my other classes, you know, this was, this is your week, next week you get a new list of things, next week I had never seen the whole year kind of mapped out like that and I thought man this guy is hardcore. This is intense, and I I began to be overloaded. Maybe if if you've ever gotten syllabi, uh, you know, in college or whatever, you kind of had that first day where you get all your syllabi and you're you're overloaded with all the assignments. That's kind of how I felt. Uh, But then he proceeded to say this. He said, "I give you this because my job as your teacher is to prepare you for college. My job is to get you college ready." And again, I was in tenth grade, so this is you know three years ahead. And when I was that age, three years felt like a really long time. It still feels like a pretty long time to me. And so I thought, this guy, his, his goal is to prepare me for college. I thought his goal was to teach me you know, European history or, or, or whatever the class was at that time. But I have to tell you, at that time, when most people, when I was in 10th grade, if you're a high schooler, this is probably not you, but when I was in 10th grade, I'm pretty sure most people looked at me as just this thin, lanky, insecure uh, teenager with a deep-seated fear of talking to girls. I am pretty sure that was how everyone looked at me, but Mr. Hagenbush did not look at me that way. He did not see me for what I was then on that day. He didn't see me for who I was. He saw me for what I could be someday. And that story reminds me of this passage because I believe that is the way, that is the kind of eyesight, that is the kind of the perception that the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote these words here, was able to look at people like that. And so here's a question that I have for you. Is there anybody in your past or maybe your present that Mr. Hagenbush kind of reminds you of them? Maybe it was a a coach or a teacher. Maybe it was a parent or some other kind of family member or family friend. Maybe it was a leader at your church growing up or or your youth pastor or your youth pastor right now. If you are someone who can think of someone like Mr. Hagenbush, someone who saw you not for just as you are on this day or that day, but someone who saw you for what you could be, I will say you are a very fortunate person if you have someone in your life like that. Because I tell you, our natural tendency is not to see people's potential. Our natural tendency is not to see what somebody could be, but to see them as they are right now. And I must admit that that's definitely my natural tendency. That's my default setting. Uh, in fact, sociologists call this, they call this cognitive bias, right? I mean, whenever I'm driving down the road and I see somebody on their cell phone, I assume, man, this person's an idiot, they're going to get in a wreck, they're going to hurt somebody. But every now and then when I look at my own phone when I'm driving, I have a good excuse for it, right? I, I justify my own behavior and I usually look down on other people's behavior. If I'm in a meeting and somebody walks in late, I assume that they're just undisciplined, they're lazy, they don't care about the time uh, that is represented by the people in the room. But whenever I'm late for a meeting, you know, I always have a good reason for that. I, I don't know. For some reason my tendency is to look at other people as they are now and I see their flaws and their failures, their shortcomings. I see those things before I see their potential, before I see their strength. But what we're going to what we're going to learn today is that the person who wrote the letter of Colossians, his name is Paul, he was an apostle He wrote uh, to a, a church of people, a congregation in the city of Colossae. That's why it's called letter of Colossians. He wrote these people, and he had the ability. I think I have a slide for this. Yeah, the writer of Colossians, he had the ability to see people not just as they are, but as they could be someday. And if you're at home, if you have kids in the room, they're going to be thinking of Daniel Tiger, because I want you to actually repeat this with me. The writer of Colossians, and I'm going to have you fill in the blank when I stop at are or could be, they had the ability to see people not just as they are, but for what they could be. The writer of Colossians was able to see people not just as they are right now, but for what they could That's how Mr. Hagenbush saw me. That's how, maybe there's somebody in your life who saw you that way. That's the way that the Apostle Paul looked at these people in Colossae and everybody else that he was in relationship with. All right, so that's where we're going with this sermon. I'm going to back up and start back in verse 24, and we'll start talking through that, okay? So here's verse 24. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church." Now, if that's the first time you're looking at that verse, or the first time you've really thought about it, it may give you pause. Like, whoa, wait a second. Are you saying that Christ's death was not enough to forgive me my sins? Are you saying Christ's uh, death on the cross was not enough to atone for my sin? Well, that, that's, that's obviously not what is happening here. That would contradict everything else in the, Old, in the New Testament, as well as everything else that this guy Paul ever wrote. That's not what he's saying. I think this is a better way to understand the text there. What is lacking in Christ's death and afflictions and his suffering. What is lacking is not atonement. It's not our forgiveness of sins. What is lacking is the spreading of that message. In other words, Christ did everything he could to, forgive, to, to pay the atonement, to pay the price, the penalty for our sin. But if nobody ever heard about that, there, there would be no church. There would be no Hershey Free Church today. If that message had not been sent out and people invited to to devote their lives to serving Jesus Christ. And that, that message would never get out. The churches would never be planted. The mission of God would never go forward. And so Christ, uh, Paul is, in, uh, in other words, picking up the baton where Christ left off. Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and Paul saw it his duty to tell others about this. And, of course, you and I are part of that mission as well. And so if he goes on, let's go ahead and look at what he says next in verse 25 and following. He talks about this mystery that we're going to talk about. Okay, So verse 25. Uh, Paul is writing again, I have become its servant. The it he's referring to is this this gospel message. I have become a, a servant of the gospel. I've become a servant of this message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. By the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches, well, here it is again, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, <clears throat> the hope of glory. So here's what's meant by this this mystery. And maybe maybe it's easier for you to understand it if you think of it as a riddle, right? A riddle is something that you know there's an answer to it, but it's not quite sure how this, you know, how does this work out. Uh, So this mystery is that thousands of years before Paul wrote this letter to Colossians, a few thousand years earlier, God had made himself known to his people, to the Israelites, to the Jews. And he had told them, their founding uh, father, in fact, uh, he, he had told them that he would make salvation possible for all people. He would invite all people to participate in God's mission. All people would have this ability to be a part of God's family someday. But up until this point, before Jesus came, it was only the Jews, right? All the other nations, they had their own gods. Nobody really followed God, the true God, the, the, the Yahweh, except for the Jews, except for the Israelites. And so it was kind of a mystery up to this point. Why did God say that all people, no matter their ethnicity, their background, where they're from, they're the nation they are part of, the citizenship they have, how, why was he saying that all people were invited to worship the one true God, but it seems like it's only Jews? Well, the answer to that question is Christ in you. When Christ died, he opened up salvation for all people. And uh, very few of you watching this are Jewish by ethnicity. Me, I'm not either. And so I've been invited into that. So this is the Christ in me, Christ in you. This is the answer to that riddle, in other words, is what he's saying. Now, I flew through verses 24 to 27 really quick. Uh, there's some confusing stuff that are in those verses. So if you want to head over to hfcinfo.com, you can look at the Sunday bulletin. I have some sermon notes. I, I I typed out some of the answers to maybe some common questions there. You can look at that on your own time, and we will get on to really the the main purpose, the main theme of this whole this whole paragraph we're looking at, which is verse 28. Okay. And once again, this is this is Paul's his mission statement. I mean, this is the reason that he did everything that he did in ministry. The spreading of the gospel, planting churches, his missions work, his fundraising, uh, raising up leaders and elders and discipling people in all the churches and all the cities that he visited, and the persecution that he went through, everything that he went through in his ministry. This is his purpose statement. This is why he did it. Look at this. He, talking about Christ, Jesus Christ, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? What's the purpose? So that we may present Every person, or everyone, fully mature in Christ. This was his secret sauce. This was his superpower. This, this is what got him up in the morning. This is what he sprinkled on his eggs and bacon in the morning. This is what got him up and kept him motivated for ministry. So that, because he was able to see people, again, not as they are now. He was able to see everybody that he came in contact with, his coworkers, the people in these different churches. He was able to see them the day that they would stand before Jesus today, fully mature in their faith again, I think I have a slide for this, Uh, sorry, he was able to see people not just as they are, but as they could be, as flawed and immature as they are right now. He didn't see them that way, he was able to see them as fully mature. And so as you see on the screen here, there's a word I want to introduce you to. Uh, now, the original Bible, the, the new, T- new Testament, was originally written in Greek. In fact, the English that we know today is, was not even around 2,000 years ago, so this is a fairly new language in that regard. But, uh, and I don't show a lot of Greek words, but this is a really important word. It's the word uh, teleon, okay? I think uh, teleology, think of... Uh, telescope, the ability to, you know, telescope, it sees, it sees far off, it's, it, it's the teleology, it's the idea of, of seeing the end of something, the purpose of something, the result of something, the finality of something. So that Greek word teleon, that is what's translated as fully mature in your Bible. If you have a different version, maybe it's perfect or just simply the word mature. It's the ability, here's how I define it, the ability to see people not just as they are, but for what they could be. Not just to see people as they are now, but for what they could be. And so Paul had the ability to see people when, when they are finally standing before Jesus, that they have gone through a life of every decision they have made, every uh, action they have taken, every person they've interacted with is just a crash course in them learning and how to be more like Jesus. And when they finally stand before him after their death one day, they are more transformed and conformed into his likeness. They're more like him when they get to that day. When Paul looked at someone, he didn't, look at, he didn't look at a Christian as someone who's just self-absorbed in their self. He didn't look at someone who was just, oh, they're just misguided in their thinking. He didn't look at somebody as juvenile in their actions. He didn't look at somebody as, oh, there's a person who's just plagued by their addictions and sinful habits they can't get rid of. He didn't look at someone and say, oh, that's just an immature person. No, no, Paul had the ability to look at somebody as, yeah, that's how they are now, but I can see what they could be, and I can be a part of them maturing and becoming a different person, becoming more like Jesus every day. The ability to see people not just as they are, but as they could be. Now, there's some things that I want us to notice in this package, this passage. There's so much packed into here, okay? Uh, here's a part of the passage I want to emphasize, that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. For Paul, maturity was not this, this idea. It was not this thing that happened just once you die, uh, you know he he would have he would have been pretty upset if any of us thought of sanctification, if we thought of our salvation as "Oh man, Christ forgave me my sins, I guess whoever I am today i'm just going to be that way, and then when I stand before jesus then that's when i'll be, that's when i'll be mature. He would have been pretty upset if any of us were to say, "Well, the day I stand before jesus that's the day that i'm going to be changed, or on that day that's when I'll have the proper perspective on that day that's the, on, on that day when I stand before Jesus, then i 'll know how to treat other people right. Or then, that'll be the day that I'm free from my addictions, that I'm free from my sinful habits. That'll be the day that I'm a different person. Paul would have said, no, 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 no. You're thinking of this all wrong. See, in this verse, he's saying he wants to present everyone. So when they are presented, when they stand before Jesus, they are fully mature or a step closer to being fully mature in their relationship with Jesus. Instead, we should have this kind of mindset about ourselves even. Hey, in one year from now, I'm, I'm going to be a more mature person. And just in just one year from now, I'm going to have a more biblical perspective of my life and the things that I go through. One year from now, I'm going to be able to see people a little more like the way God sees them. And just a year from now, I'm going to be able to treat people the way that God would have me to treat them. In just a year from now, hey, in, in five years, I'm going to be a different person in my walk with Christ. I'm going to be more mature in five years. In 10 years, in 15 years... This is the kind of mindset that we should have of ourselves and of other people, to see us not as we are now, but as we could be someday. And I wonder if any of you watching this, if you've ever looked back at your life and you said, man, five years ago, I mean, I'm, I'm 32, so I look back, man, in my early 20s, I was, I'm was i a different person now than I was just five years ago. Ten years, man, I'm a way different person than I was 10 years ago. And all of us should have this mindset of, hey, in, in five, 10, 15 years, I... I'm going to progress in my faith. I'm going to become more mature. I'm going to have a greater understanding of what God's will is. I'm going to have a greater capacity of loving others. I'm going to have, I'm going to mature. And, and this is how we should look at each other and ourselves as well. Teleon. It's the ability to see people not just as they are, but as they could be someday. Here's something else I want us to point out in this passage. Notice that the word we, these verbs here, these, these are plural. In other words, he's saying that. Paul does not see himself as the one presenting others. Like like the weight is on his shoulders to see others become more mature in their faith. No, 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 no. Paul had a a deep theology within himself that we are all a part of this. We are doing this together. We are presenting one another as mature in Christ. Uh, This is why Paul used the word we in here. Uh, His expectation is that we are all called to be pastors and shepherds for one another. A deep part of my own personal theology is that even though you don't have the title pastor in front of your name, I do believe that God has called you to be a kind of person who is a pastor to other people. We are to pastor and shepherd one another in our faith. In fact, if you are a Live Love Lead Group leader, if you are on a leadership team that I have the privilege of working with, then you have called, you have heard me call you on multiple occasions probably a pastor. My expectation he said, I'm not the only pastor here. I mean, there, there, there's you know we have, I don't know, if, uh, I need to count them up, the number of pastors we have with the title pastor uh, here at Hershey Free Church. But my expectation is that every one of you watching this is the kind of person who can be a pastor and a shepherd to other people. And I believe this was a deep part of Paul's theology. So listen to what else he says later on in Colossians, Colossians 3.16. He writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Romans 5:14 he writes, "You yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another." In 1 Thessalonians 4:18, he writes, "Encourage one another with these words." In other words, Paul the apostle is not the only one who should be teaching others who should be encouraging others, who should be admonishing others, who should be exhorting others. He's not the only one doing this. It's not the pastor that's the only one doing this. No, we are doing this for each other. We are all working to present one another mature in Christ. And if any of us are the kinds of people who look at someone else and say, oh, you know, you know well, well, that's how they are. That's how they're always going to be. Then, then you're not going to be a part of anybody's maturity. You're going to be holding them back. We are called to have I'm vision. I know that sounds goofy. We are called to be the kind of people that see others not just as they are now but for what they could be someday. And then to hopefully be, 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 be a partner with them as they mature in their faith. And I hope that you're able to look at someone else and say, yeah, I, I, that, that is how they are now, but they're not always gonna be that way. I can, I can see them for what they could be someday in their walk with Christ. Now, with that said, let me ask you this. When you look at other people, what, 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 would, it, what would it look like for you to look at other people and see them not just for what they are now, but for what they could be? Now, as we chew on that for a minute, I have two questions that I want to ask you. Here's here's the first question. Has anyone ever looked at you with a growth mindset? Has anyone ever looked at you, seeing you not just for as you are, but as you could be someday? I tell you, Mr. Hagenbush, way back in 10th grade, he could have looked at me and seen a kid who was quite average and mediocre or maybe slightly below average. And in those days, I was very much below average, but he was able to see me not as that lanky, insecure, you know, terrible at sports or whatever else other people saw, you know, unpopular. He, was not able to, he didn't see me that way. He was able to see me as a tall, uh, strapping young man with a blue robe and a tassel turned to the left someday. He was able to see the day that I was graduating college and launching into a successful career. He could see me for what I could be. Has anyone ever looked at you with that way, seeing you for what not what you are but what you could be? Here's the second question I want you to think about. What would it mean for you to see people for what they could be someday? Not just just as they are, but fully mature in Christ, and then maybe to be a part of that maturity. What would it mean for you to look at a non-Christian, someone who who follows a different religion, someone who maybe doesn't have a faith at all? What what would it be like for you to look at them not as an enemy of our society, but as someone that you could influence in the gospel of Christ? What would it be like for you to see other Christians, misguided Christians, whoever you think about when you say, oh, this is what's wrong with Christians these days, or this is what's wrong with evangelicals. I don't know who you think of when, when, when you say those kind of things, but what if you were to look at those kind of people and see that they are people who need to progress in their relationship with Christ and not as a lost cause that you just don't want to talk to anymore? What would it mean for you to look at younger Christians, not as, as jaded, iPhone-addicted young people? What, what if you were able to look at them not that way, but as the genuine future of the church? What if you were able to look at yourself and not just see your flaws, not just see your shortcomings, not just see the things that, 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 that hinder you in your life, but you were able to see yourself as someone who's maturing and, hey, in five years, you're going to have greater victory. You're going you're gonna to be better at this. You're going to be more mature in five years. What if you were able to see yourself that way? What would it look like for you to see yourself and other people for what they could be someday and not just for what they are now? So that's the challenge that I have for you today. And one last challenge. Uh, Through this whole series, we have been encouraging everyone in our church to pray Scripture. And so I want to encourage you to pray this first. Let's see if I can find it here. Yeah, Colossians 128. And as you do that, think of the way that Paul, he didn't pray for people's problems to go away. He prayed for them to see progress in their faith. Our challenge for you in this series is to learn how to pray scripture. I'd encourage you to look at this verse and and pray actually when the screen goes black for the person that is next to you. Pray that they would mature in their faith. Pray that they would have a deeper understanding of God's will. Not that they would make the right decision in their decisions, but they would be the kind of people that would learn how to make wise decisions. That's an example of what I mean. So when the screen goes black, I encourage you to pray for the person sitting next to you in that way. And lastly, as the screen goes black, remember that church is not over. Church is just beginning because you are the church. You are not being dismissed. You are being sent. You are being sent to be mature in your faith. You are being sent to view others not just as they are now but for what they could be. You are not dismissed. You are sent. Thank you.